Hi, this is Amanda Dolan and welcome to The Mental Society. Today I am joined by Dylan, Dylan Newcomb. Dylan um, is a world-renowned expert in embodiment and has dedicated over two decades to helping individuals transform unhealthy stress and live a more fulfilling life. Uh, he studied dance performance and music composition at the Juilliard School and then continued with dance in the Netherlands. And um, you received numerous awards for both choreography and um, composing. But you found your joy in um, working with people in like, connecting with their mind and their body and creating awareness around that through the um, in developing the Uzazu, I'm going to get that right one of these days, Uzazu, Uzazu, there we go, Uzazu Embodied Intelligence Program, which is a comprehensive personal growth modality. So thank you for being here. Those are a lot of words that, you know, Uzazu, tell me a little bit more about how you got to this place, because I know you did research before you created this program, right? Yeah. Yeah. So how did you get to to here? Uh, yeah, well, first off, Thank you for having me. It's nice to uh, have this opportunity to talk and oh. to, and to share about this with people. So excited! Um, so how how did I develop this? Or how did well? I mean, you started with dance. Yeah. So what brought you yeah. from dance? Yeah. And I think dance like is a way to connect with your body. But from that connecting with your body to connecting it with your mind and wellness, like yeah. that holistic approach. Yeah. Where, how'd you get there? Yeah. So I, I think an, another piece that hasn't been named that was really a significant factor in that mm -hmm. shift was meditation. Um, I, at about 12 years old, <laughs> I was getting bullied at school and my mom sent me to karate class. Um, or I, I asked to be sent to the karate class, but the uh, karate teacher was actually, I think, more interested in meditation than karate because it was like almost half meditation. And um, and I ended up liking the meditation more than the karate and um, kind of fell in love with it and then got really interested in it was a Japanese form. And then I just got interested in Japan and started studying Japanese and Japanese architecture and Japanese meditation and Zen. So from 12 to 18, I was just all about it. And I just found myself meditating a lot and reading about, you know, like stories about enlightenment and just like really drawn to this yeah. notion of enlightenment. And it was kind of weird because I was like 13 or 14 and that's mm -hmm. what I was into. Um, and, and my mom was a dancer. So I grew up with, uh, she was a folk dancer of, um, of Western folk dance and, um, West African and Caribbean folk dance. So wow. I grew up with both of those forms all the time. So there was dance. I was a childhood singer and performer. So I was all, I was all about voice and I loved singing in public and in private and in nature. So you got meditation singing, dance, and those were kind of the three ingredients that that I just kept juggling. Um, and people kept saying, you have to choose like, okay, you, I went to performing arts high school, I had to choose. Well, I ended up doing both. And then I got into Juilliard as a dancer and they said, you have to choose, but then they heard my music and invited me into the music department. So I ended up doing a double major uh, at Juilliard in, in music composition and dance. Um, then I got wow. a job in a dance company. Um, first in the American Ballet Theater in New York City, quit after a week, 
going, you know, ballet really, it was great to study, but it really isn't my thing. Um, got a job with a company in the Netherlands, which was actually my favorite dance company called the Netherlands Dance Theater, which was sort of a mix of modern and ballet. Uh, Yuri mm. Killian was the lead choreographer and it was just, it just, it moved me, you know? And so I felt really blessed to be able to be in that company. After a few years, I started composing for choreographers there. And then I was back into my double life of music and dance and, and the meditation just kept going on. At right. this point, I gravitated more towards Buddhist insight meditation known as Vipassana and uh, from Southeast Asia. Um, and, and I was sitting a lot of retreats when I could, when I wasn't dancing and composing. By the time I hit 28, I had reached a kind of a crisis point where, where I was in my journey of meditating was like, okay, am I going to quit? and go to a monastery and like leave all the attachments uh, mm -hmm. of the sensual and, and materialist life, right? Because right. A, lot of, a lot of, many schools of Buddhism is like detached, detached, non-attachment, you know, right. just notice it and let it pass. Whereas, whereas art is like, feel it and respond to it. <laughs> right. Know? So I was like, okay, I'm feeling it. Do I respond? And that would, turn into art or do I just let it pass and then reach my goal of enlightenment? And at 28, that felt like I, it totally screwed up my sex life. I like at this point, I just, I was like increasingly almost unable to have sex because it just felt like that's just attachment to pleasure. And, and, and that's got to take me further away from what, where Buddhism seemed to be inviting me, at least how I was receiving it. So, you know, there was like, there was like the body and sensualism in its various forms. And then there was like pure awareness mm -hmm. on the other hand. And it, and it, uh, I just couldn't handle it anymore. <laughs> um, and at the same time, I was also noticing Amanda that, okay, while my dance career and my music career were going fabulous, as you mm -hmm. noted, I was winning awards. I was relatively uh, quite well-known in Holland at that time. This was about 10 years into my time in Holland. So I'm, well, no, eight what? years. I'm 28 at this point. And um, at that point. And um, so, I mean, it was all going well and I loved it. I loved the dance and the music, but it was not carrying into the rest of my life. It wasn't like, yeah. it wasn't like my ability to move and to feel just felt like, oh, and my relationships are this way and my finances are this way and my relationship to organization and times. No, it was like a bubble of paradise. And then the rest yeah. of my life, it wasn't, wasn't terrible. It was, I wasn't a mess, mm -hmm. but I was just like, I, if this is going to keep growing it, I, I want it to transform more different areas of my right. life. You know, I wanted to carry over and com com compounded by, and what about pure being? What about awareness? What about enlightenment? What about almost this sort of spiritual sense of what, I, where I should be going? Uh, that word should. Yeah. <laughs> and and a part of me really was drawn towards, you right. know, this sense of greater unity and, and equanimity and peace and love uninterruptedly. Um, so that that point is, was the, at that sort of crisis point was the seed that sparked right. what, 
over the next 20 years has become this modality, Uzazu embodied intelligence. And so like when I think of embodiment, I think of like being connected fully, like your mind, your body and the environment around you. Like you are one being, not a mind and a body, like the two work together and the ac- external world is informing how they show up as well. So that's mm-hmm. my understanding kind of how I think of it, but I would love for you to explain more about what what I mean when I say, yeah. yeah, yeah, and then yeah, happy to lay that out to in the way I hold it, and then to circle back on like, okay, well, what did I do at that crisis point? Oh yeah, 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 sorry to yeah. become Uzazu. Um, you know, a lot of people are aware of Descartes and the mind-body split, and mm-hmm. Descartes famously said, "I think, therefore I am," which is was sort of this culminating crystallizing you know milestone of a certain trend in a way out of the body of course we're always in the body but out of the body to the mind and locating our sense of self here you know that the body is a kind of a brain taxi that just carries us around so we can think here and we can think there right um and then we you know and and scientific objectivism, science happens in the mind. And then we, we look objectively at the body as if it's not us. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, and, and then, and then the sort of classic religion, spirituality of Buddha, Muhammad, Christ, all of these ones are also all, of a time period all around 500 uh, BC, right? Which also reinforce further this notion of spirit versus the flesh, right? Right. And which is also a kind of an, uh, and, uh, as opposed to the more uh, older forms of spirituality, which were more animistic, which were more naturalistic of which we were a part of the world and the, the natural world, right. we were an extension of it. So, so that it's not just a car, it's, it's waves of human evolution, technology, the printing press, mm-hmm. where we, instead of signing and gesticulating, we are now writing and reading. Like there's so many things that draw, drew us out of our body and into our mind. And like, that's, you know, you talked about that difference of like your spirituality and your mind are kind of part of your body, but they're also separate like that's how we've often viewed it right it's like yeah it's complicated yeah and so when you were talking about like this dance and movement and feeling connected there but then not necessarily feeling that same kind of satisfaction or contentment when it came to the other parts of your life is that how Uzazu kind of came to be yeah yeah I I wanted I needed to find my I needed to find my own solution because just dancing and and doing what I'd learned about how one become one does, I'm a dancer, I'm a choreographer, I'm an artist, was was not taking me fully where I wanted to be, right. nor was meditating as I'd received it. So I was like, I gotta, I, I gotta play shop this a little bit <laughs> for myself. So I quit everything. I quit meditating. I oh. quit calling myself a Buddhist. I quit uh, my dance company. And I got some money, be, fortunately, because I had been 
quite successful in what I'd been doing. I got a, um, several grants from the Dutch government to just do some research. So I started a laboratory called the Dance Lab um, together with four other choreographers that each were also at a point in their careers where they wanted to do their own research and not need to, mm -hmm. I mean, they were on very different journeys than me, but we had in common that we didn't want to just keep having to make shows for people to watch. We wanted the mm -hmm. space to do research that didn't have to just quickly turn into a product. Right. Um, and thankfully we were in Holland where at that time they were supporting those types of things, which is a very rare thing in the world. And right. um, so, uh, yeah, we had this studio, we had grant money um, and I got uh, interns like generally at a stretch, five interns at a time, at a, you know, for a period of several months. And wow. we would from the local dance university, which was one of the best in the world. And I just researched and I thought, okay, well, I love movement. I love sound. I, I, I'm into consciousness. Where does that all come together? And I went back to the voice where I started as a kid, because when we make vowel sounds and constants, wow, wow, wow. It's a dance of the mouth. It's a little micro dance. Yeah. And it, it sparks awareness, doesn't it? Like we, we all have this natural music is such a love and sound is such a love. It, it, it just sparks awareness. Mm -hmm. So I thought, why don't I have people make vowels and consonants and see how that wants to move and see how it affects our awareness? Meaning what, how does it affect our consciousness, our state? How does it, and in, in more specifics, what kind of thoughts, what kind of emotions, what kind of feelings, you know, how do we feel when we right. make certain thoughts? And I'm thinking like when you cry. Sort of working question I could come up with just as a starting point to see where it led mm -hmm. me. Because at least it was an intersection point of my interests. And, and so I had people for the following two years, hundreds of people come into the studio and just make all the different vowel sounds and consonants under the sun. Fortunately, it was Europe and we had lots of different languages, lots of different cultures and ages and genders. Um, I, I didn't let myself see any of the existing research on it or, you know, the healing sounds of Qigong or, or Rudolf Steiner, you know, has mm -hmm. worked with, with me with vowel sounds. I was like, no, 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 no. Um, I'm doing grounded research into what naturally happens cross-culturally when people do this. And um, yeah, we, we discovered very clear patterns um, to, to give of, of how when people make certain vowel sounds, how the body tends to move and how that tends to make people feel and how then different people react mm -hmm. to that provocation, so to speak. To give you an example, if I have people come into a room from all walks of life and say, go, ooh, ooh, just make that sound. Ooh, ooh. The body starts to. Uh, yeah. If I, as you're saying, like, yeah, ooh. kind of like, but, but not like in a closed off way necessarily, like in a, like relaxed in on myself. You start folding in on yourself. It's, it's kind of, it can be softening, cozy. Now, different people will have different experiences. Some people will feel in that, in that, in that enfolding, feel trapped or feel like, ooh, this is causing me to feel mm -hmm. uncomfortable feelings and I want to get out of there, right? Other people are like, oh, this is very soothing. This is very uh, connecting and restful and connects me back to myself. So you have the range of reactions. Right. The pattern is the same. Take, on the other hand, a very different vowel. Ah, ah, ah. 
the mouth goes out, right? It goes, the mm-hmm. tongue goes forward, the jaw opens, the lips widen. Right. Ah, and, and our whole body, if we let ourselves go with that, our whole body mm-hmm. starts to expand. Our, our, our attention, our senses start to turn outward. We start to become extroverted and gregarious. <laughs> and, and that might be comfortable and that might be very uncomfortable, right? Well, and I imagine too that people will respond very differently depending on their experience, their culture, right? With how they- Personality, culture, gender. Like when they walk into a room. history, yeah. All of those things because like for one person, because like for me, part of that like ah sound, like I wonder if I would walk into a room where somebody was making that noise and be like, oh my gosh, are they okay? Like (laughs) that like- almost a scream yeah. like this. Ah, I know that's not the right. exact. It can be, yeah. It can have so many different tones, right? It can be, ah, ah or it can be, ah. <laughs> but that's, yeah, the tones and, you know, you talked about too, how we moved like with the printing press and, you know, we moved away from storytelling in the same way, probably using our hands. In an embodied, and using our, embodied way. Yeah. And, and I think, I, I hadn't thought of this before, but as you said that, like, I think like text messaging, for example, mm. when we communicate that way, there's so much misnuance in the nonverbal. Right. All those qualities that we were just. And so, noticing. yeah. And so like, and I mean, your tone of voice, right. The look yeah. on your face, how you're holding your body. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. all of those things inform the person you're talking to about your mood, whether you're joking or you're serious, or there's, you know, a hint of sarcasm, which can't be gotten the same way through a sentence on a screen. Right, right. So, and I know- If you look at how much of our communication has transferred into these, like my my daughter is 12 and she goes to a Waldorf school. And so there's, we just- just last week, we had a whole parent meeting about uh, technology and group chat because yeah. group chat happens. And then particularly the girls at this age, they all get on the group chat. And then she said this and he said that. And before you know it, they're all right. Yeah. Anxiety is, you know, raining. And part of that is because of the medium where they don't have each other's body language to give those clues that, that, that nurture secure attachment and coherence between people. Right. So it's like, Oh, what does she mean by that? I don't know. Well, did you, you know, and then, so these negative feedback loops just kick in the anxiety shoots up because we don't have these embodied signals and clues and feedback loops to keep us both adjusting all those micro adjustments to keep us regulated. Mm-hmm. And no wonder, you know, anxiety mm-hmm. and suicidal ideation has gone up 40% in that demographic of girls. And, yeah. Oh, so like girls like that, you know, a 10 to 16 year old girls, the suicide ideation is, I mean, it's amazing how much higher it is for them than it is for their male counterparts. Like it's, it yeah. bothers me. Yeah. Like as a mom of a girl, as well. And mine's a little older than yours. She's 15, but I still like, well, I worry. She's even more deep into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and there's so much like of that snarkiness and all of that, that goes on um, behind the scenes. And I think that at least with my kids and my friends, kids, what I've noticed is how 
the more attached they are to their phone, the more that they like, leave the space they're in. Like maybe not full, yeah. like not physically, but like they withdraw. Yes, yes, yes. And and so like when you like when I think about withdrawing, like I mean, I, if you're watching this on YouTube, you saw me like pull back away from the screen a little bit. And so when I do that, I feel like I'm closing myself off to the space that I'm in when I have this pullback. So do those sorts of like feeling disconnected from the world around you and connected to the screen or only connected in your mind and not to your whole being, how does that impact our mental health and well-being? Majorly, majorly. Um, so when we're interacting with technology or let's say a screen in whatever format, mm -hmm. we are, it is a very mind-based thing. We are looking right. at symbols and signs that we are interpreting, right? Mm -hmm. We can't do anything but skip, pause, scroll, comment, right? right? Here in my room, I can grab, I can move, I can touch, I can smile right. and smile that. I can, my whole body is invited. I experience mm -hmm. my whole body as being with, as interbeing, as relating. I've got so much more agency as to how I'm making difference, <laughs> you know, right. as to how I want to be in the space, as opposed to this fundamentally disem more disempowered stance of there's reality yeah. or some impression of it that's been served up to us. Right. Well, it's, you know, it's like a 2D version filter. of reality in a 3D world. And some yeah. like, does that, right? Because it's if it's a yeah. flat screen, but our yeah. bodies take up space. And I know in some of like my somatic centering practices, like we talk about, you know, taking length and width and depth, like, you know, filling up all of that space and right. noticing where you're maybe feeling something wonky. That's, that's a very technical word right there, wonky. Um, but, you know, like you might be noticing something in your stomach and you may not even yeah. know exactly like what that, like what's happening there, but then you can yeah. be curious. So is that kind of the same yeah. idea of like. You were talking about, and you made that gesture of like coming, if we don't feel safe and connected in the world and we retreat. Yeah but we retreat with our phone. What are we retreating into? We're retreating into, and I'm demonstrating here on the video, I, we're retreating into this sort of dissociated, checked out, mm -hmm. not grounded and landed in my body interaction. So I'm, right. I'm isolated from the world and I'm disconnected from myself. So it's just all about the phone, about the phone, you know? Yes. And, um, as opposed to if I am in my room and I'm doing things, I'm like, you know, I'm going to go onto the couch and I'm going to, maybe I'm going to take a book with me, right? And all the clues are keeping me in the concrete, the concreteness right. of the objects, the concreteness of my body, the texture in the couch. So I'm going in is a, is a being with, it's a grounding and reconnecting with mm -hmm. myself. Not only is that integrative, restful, but it's also cultivates self-awareness. Oh, how am I feeling? Oh, I have anxiety here. Oh, I have this. Oh, I have that. What are my needs? Right. 
If I, if I take those same 10 minutes on the couch scrolling, I come out of it not knowing much of anything more about how I'm doing or and I would really rejuvenated in any way. And I would argue that it potentially could make you feel more disconnected or more anxious because I mean, social media is not always a fun place to right. be. And it's endless. And There's never, you're never fully up to date. You're never fully no. like satisfied. So it's, it's empty calories. And I just want to, I want to, at this point, just put a, a disclaimer that I'm as guilty as the next person oh, of I all of us. <laughs> like it is, <laughs> it is so hard to escape. I just, I just, you know, I have a, but it, I mean, an you know, and it's of <laughs> how much it, I'm hurting myself. It's funny, you know, Dylan and I met on an app called Focusmate actually, where you co-work with people. It's a way to, for me, it's a way to be accountable, but also have some human interaction during the day as someone that works a lot of alone from home. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so I also have noticed that, you know, when you are not you particularly, but when we connect with people, our body language can impact how we connect, right? Like, because if you, you know, if I show up and I've got my arms crossed and I'm, you know, head down and I'm grumpy. Yeah. Like that's going to be felt by the person you're interacting with. Yes. And so like that also, like, I think community and relationship is key to our like mental health. Yeah. Um, And like in that, um, you know, I, I know I've talked to people like, trauma that, you know, when you've experienced trauma or when you, you're fearful, you show that in your body um, and that predators, you know, historically speaking, can read that and know that you might be an easier target. So when you are in this place of embodied movement and you're using your mind and your body, how does that change how you physically show up in response to other people? Yeah, great question. Um, there's kind of, we could, there's so many ways I could answer that question. Um, so here's here's how I'll answer it right now today. Um, we could look at it from two directions, from from self to other, from, from mm -hmm. my experience and felt sense of me in the moment to you and of from other to self. And so I'll, uh, meaning from what I'm sensing and feeling in you right. and that impacts me. Right. People that are more other oriented mm -hmm. tend to start with the other. And then they're sort of naturally going, oh, how can I adapt to this other person's energy, moods, perspectives, needs? Right. Right. Um, and so they're constantly in a kind of a realignment, reattunement, adapting uh, space. And th the challenge for people that tend to be more other focused is to keep checking in with where they're at and what their right. needs are, what their feelings are, and not continually just be trying to adjust and adapt, right? Or even right. just recognize like where, where they are in, in that diet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, 
So embodiment in that equation of, being, of the more other focused folk, um, and it, it does, I, I, I don't like to jump to gender stereotypes, but I have right. developed, a, spent 15 years developing a validated assessment of these states and have analyzed mm-hmm. the results of over a thousand people. And I can tell you with some, <laughs> with some uh, data here that it right. is more a female um, tendency to be more other focused. I mean, big surprise. Yes. Um, and even hard, you know, even stronger with parents, right? <laughs> There's even more, you know, how the kids, right? Um, but men can absolutely do it too. It's by no means black and white. I tend to be more other focused as well. Uh, well, it depends on the context. Anyway, um, <laughs> the other, the other, so embodiment there is really a journey or a big part of the journey is, wait a minute, let me, let me actually let me actually learn to not fixate on you so much, but to reclaim my attention for myself and then ex- and then grounded in myself, extend my attention back to you. So it's like, yes to me and then yes to you rather than yes to you. And then, well, we'll see about me and where right. I fit in with that. And that's a hugely empowering shift that embodiment can and- and and what that makes me also think is like if if I am in a space with someone and I check in with myself and I'm really checking in and I might notice like, oh, I don't feel safe or I'm getting like, I don't like this person. Like I don't have a reason necessarily, but something in my body is saying caution, whatever that is. So I wonder yeah. like if that being fully connected with how we experience things in our body. Cause I do believe that our bodies sometimes are more knowledgeable about what's happening in our world than our brains are. Sorry. My dog is going to apparently join us today. Um, so how true is that, that, that our bodies can inform us on how to keep us safe, like by paying attention to them. Mm-hmm. Let me circle back on that in just one moment. I want to, okay. if you don't mind, I want to talk about this no, soft other flow and yes, then, yes. then let's hold that question in light of both okay. of those. Otherwise I'm not honoring the people that have the other, <laughs> the other. Right. Uh, um, so those that are less comfortable really attuning to like being mm-hmm. present with the others, right. That are more right. often in terms of, for those that are listening, uh, aware of attachment styles. These are more the, can be and include definitely the more avoidant attachment styles as right. opposed to more anxious, like, are you okay? Are we okay? Types. Um, so those that are a little more closed off or a little more introverted, or just, just more self-centered. And I don't say that in a judgmental sense necessarily, but tend to orient more and find their motivation more intrinsically rather than extrinsically or in the other's well-being. Um, for those types, it's often a journey of learning to find that safety in themselves, which is typically more available. Like I feel safe when I'm not with you and I'm in myself, um, of very slowly extending their awareness and learning to feel safe and safe and safe as I include more and more of you and your full reality and emotional reality moment to moment in my sphere of embodied awareness. Meaning, can I stay in touch with myself 
and include more and more of your reality while still feeling safe, right? And the more yeah. easily I can do that, well, then the more naturally I'm going to want to connect because it doesn't it doesn't trigger me as much and it doesn't cost me as much energy to to be with you to interact with you. Introverts will typically say I can do it for about an hour or two, but then I gotta have some me time, right? Because I'm exhausted. Well, embodiment then is an opportunity. It can be in different schools of embodiment, of course, focus on right. different things. I'm talking about the kind of work that mm -hmm. I and certain other people do. Um, can be this amazing opportunity to repattern ourselves so that it does become more and more easeful to be with mm. people for longer and, and a broader range of people for longer periods of time and actually enjoy it and feel easeful in it. Whereas for the other people, the journey of safety is, is it safe for me to be, to feel my own feelings while with you? Right. Is it going to threaten the relationship? Am I going to lose you if I'm honest about myself, right? Can, or because there's such a long history of negating one's own reality and own emotions. It's hard to feel, let alone even imagine, like really, right. really staying grounded in your own truth. So embodiment yeah. is an amazing opportunity for other focused people to step more into their own authenticity, more into their own power, more into their own confidence and not feel continually at the mercy of other people's agendas and feelings. And I know that that is something that I, especially I used to be guilty of, which was worrying about everyone else and putting myself absolutely last. And then by the end of the day, I'm exhausted. I've got none of my things taken care of. And, yeah, yeah. and I would even argue yeah. that there was a sense of like resentment because I was giving all of myself to everyone else. Sure. Never getting to focus definitely. on myself. Yeah. And so yeah. like I, and I know that for me, I have, and I'm not sure it's necessarily embodiment, but it's more of a, okay, how is helping this person going to help me today? And by that, it could be, well, it's not, or I'm going to feel really good after I help this person. So it's right. worth doing because it's going right. to shift how I feel. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like when you're aware of like, because I'm wondering now if like, instead of like, if, if you could take a step back in that decision-making and think through like, okay, if I do whatever this thing is, how, how am I going to feel? And even in that moment, noticing what comes up in your body, is that mm -hmm. part of this learning yeah, process? Absolutely. Um, I know we don't have a lot of time left, so maybe maybe it'd be good for me to circle back to almost to oh, yeah. get for just for a few minutes and yeah. say, um, like, okay, so I had this laboratory, I started researching these vowel sounds you know, fast forward 20 years and there's this modality, Zazu Embodied Intelligence. We've trained and taught thousands of people around the world in how to understand it's what it, what it has become. Embodied intelligence is what is embodied intelligence and why do I call it embodied intelligence? Intelligence is can be defined as leaving the embodiment out for a moment. Mm -hmm. Intelligence can be defined as uh, an entity it can be it can be a living entity right. or an artificial intelligence um capacity to make sense of a situation mm -hmm. or data yeah to determine a, a desirable 
um, response or change like, oh, no, but let's go, let's change it this way or a goal. In other words, some sort of a goal because right. of this, that, right. Or instead of this, that, and then to pursue effective action in service of that goal. Right. So that's yeah. intelligence in a nutshell. And it, that plays mm -hmm. out in a million different ways, right? right. Make sense of your environment could be internal and external, right? To, to to have a sense, a clear sense of, or some degree of clarity about where to go or how to change it. Mm -hmm. And the ability to get there, that's intelligence in a nutshell. So embodied intelligence is going, well, this doesn't just happen in our mind. It happens in our whole being. How can we use more of our whole being and all of our embodied intelligence to sense, make sense of? Mm -hmm without getting dysregulated to a point where we can't respond and we can't even keep right. taking in the signal. We have to shut it out because it freaks us out too much, be it our own emotions, be it what's mm -hmm. going on in the world, be it gun violence, you know, you name it. Yeah, right. Um, um, so to take it in, to hold it without being dysregulated, to shift our state such that we can, and we can act on it in a productive way, that we can do something productive mm -hmm. in response to it. That is embodied intelligence in a nutshell. And so depending on what types, of, so the questions are, most people can, can take in certain types of stimulus, but not other types as well. We're talking about right. self versus other focused people. Mm -hmm. Some people are good at taking it. Like you and I, you know, we, we work in, the, in the, as helping professionals. Right we're comfortable with taking in other people's emotions and holding that. But I'm not great at giving other people my emotions. <laughs> right. And, you know, and like, how to hold and manage your own emotions as you share them. That's a different flow. I, so many therapists, when they learn our work, are like, oh my God, I need this for myself first. I'm, I'm reasonably good with others, but right. I need this for myself. Um, so there's the what kind of stimulus, what kind of input can we hold and process and then what kind of a response and what range of responses am I capable of? Some people are really good at empathy. Some people are really good at analysis. Some people are really good at action. It's much more rare to find people that are comfortable doing that full range of things. So embodied intelligence is expanding our range of the different modes or ways in which we can sense process and respond so that we can be receptive, empathic, assertive as required moment to moment. And I'm guessing that this is one of those things, not unlike meditation, where it takes some practice and some time to learn how to show up in your body and to experience all of those feelings fully. It does. It does. And at the same time, people, when what we found so to our surprise and delight over the years is that when you align the form of the body with, with the focus of attention of the mind together with breath, you stand a much better chance of holding these different types of stimulus and enacting these different types of responses mm -hmm. in a way that feels safe and okay. Meaning when you're just trying to do it with your mind, but your body's like not supporting it, it's way harder, right? It's like, if I went like this, I have a silly analogy that I've never thought of before. It's like, if I, if I wanted to throw a pen, but I would only do it with the wrist, like it wouldn't really work well. But if I adopted the form that supported that, right, 
you know, or it's like if I was trying to indicate to you where to find something in the room, but I could only use my nose. Like, no, that's not the most effective way to do it. That's silly, but here's a better example. If we want to tune our attention to ourselves and check in and land in our own body and reconnect with how am I really, mm-hmm. I could do that this way, but it'd be more of a mental trick. Oh, by the way, uh, for those just listening, I'm extending my body outwards in an extroverted motion. And then to feel my feelings and feel my body is harder because my body's literally supporting my mind to go outwards. But if I ooh, hold that vowel ooh, and, and move my body inwards, now all of a sudden it becomes way easier to rest my mind in this space that my body is holding for it for it. If I'm having trouble feeling you and connecting with your feelings in a way that feels safe, if I just do this, that might be like edgy. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, standing here looking at you. But right. if I go, if I take a step forward towards you, like literally move towards you, it's sort of supporting my mind to go like, Hey, let's, let's look at Amanda here. Right. And if I then soften down and imagine receiving you, that helps a lot more for me to have the space to receive your stimulus, as opposed to if I'm here, like, just listen to notice what it's like to to witness me receiving. Mm -hmm. Hi, how you doing? How are you feeling? Yeah. See, that feels very stiff. I'm not like yeah, but when I soften down while staying forward, all of a sudden my body is supporting my mind and then the awareness can flow through that and all of a sudden it feels much more doable. So and as and as the person on the other side, when you lean in and you, and down, it feels safe and like almost like you want to pull me in. Right. So it it also invites the other to participate in my action and it signals clearly what it is that, what my intention is, you know, like when you're in a session with somebody and the, and the therapist is like, so how are you feeling? And and they lean back and they look at their notepad. Right. And it's like, yeah, I'm not feeling safely empathized with right now. Yeah. But but if your therapist kind of, you know, leans forward a little bit and I'm not talking like out of their chair, bent over just, just leans yeah. a little bit forward. It can be just yeah. a few inches. Right. And also that like relaxing of the shoulders. Yeah. It changes how you feel with a person because if someone's so stiff, you're like, okay, what's wrong with them? Are they going to break or explode? Or, you know, like, right. I don't know what's happening with their emotions, if you will. And right now we're talking about one specific thing, which is what we call bridging which is I'm here with you in a feeling mode, but there's, you know, I'm expressing myself. I could, if I'm going to express myself from here, it's a little distracting because I'm so busy with your feelings. Right. But if I go to myself and I let that expand, okay, I'd like to share how, like what I'm, what's really true for me right now. Like now my body's supporting that. Right. right? That might be very uncomfortable, but I can learn to breathe through that and in a surprisingly quick amount of time, my body learns to find safety in that because mind, body, and awareness are in alignment in that mode. They're supporting right. that. So the, the conditioning, the trauma, and that gets in a little bit more complicated discussion, but right. it, it processes itself through much more quickly and safely. So since we've just got a minute or two left before, okay. yeah. um, I just, I think like ending with, yeah, like, because we kind of talked, like, what's one thing that people 
could start doing to be more focused on that embodied intelligence? One great question, self-reflection question is where does my, where would it serve me to put my attention right now more? Is my attention too far out into the world or is it too far stuck in myself? And first move your body to where your attention naturally is so that you can reconnect it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're too far out in the world, literally move forward into that. Okay. This is where I am. Now my body is at least meeting my mind where it is and then bring it back okay. with you into yourself or move into yourself and then very slowly bring the mind and the awareness with you out. Just like if your kid is playing out in the yard and you yell at them, come on in, come on in. And they don't. But if you come on, come go outside, look at them, breathe for a moment and say, I, I really need you to come inside now. They come. Right. So it's the same with our body mind, meet it where it's at and bring it to where you want it to go. And so the key with that is to like becoming aware of where you like where you're at and then where you want to be, which is going to take some practice. But I'm guessing too that like as humans, we know what feels good in our bodies on some level, maybe not fully and completely without practice. So it might just be like what feels good and authentic versus like, like how do I feel right now? And then what feels good and authentic and finding that middle ground. Where's my, what is this feeling right now? Where does it want to shift to? Okay. Yeah. Shift at all. You might be feeling fine. Right. (laughs) Um, Where does it want to shift to? And how can my body support that? That would be the simplest way to frame it. Uzazu, if somebody is interested in in Uzazu, we have ways to, you know, get more specific Mm -hmm. and practical about that, obviously. Right. And and I know that you have a free assessment that that people can find on on your website. Really, you answer 72 questions and it gives you a really good readout of where your attention and your energy and your state tend to to tend to be, the different places Mm -hmm. it to hang out and how much balance or imbalance or dysregulation seems to be present in the course of a given day for you. Um, and then we have follow-up practices and things, you know, ways that you can. Um, yeah. And additional trainings. Yeah. And yeah. if someone is interested in working with you and learning more, they can check you out on your website, right? That's right. Yeah, there's that. And then there's uzazu.org. Uzazu is our, our website, U-Z-A-Z-U.org. And it's Uzazu because of those vowels. Uzazu, that we named I, it that contraction and expansion movement of these vowels. That is awesome. And I'm going to make sure I have the links to all of these Great. you know, in the show notes. And so people can find you. Thank you so much for talking with me. Um, this is interesting, especially because I'm currently doing somatic embodiment training. So like, is this feels like right aligned with that. Um, thank you again for being here and sharing a little bit about all of this mind and body and the movement. I'm just going to tell you that I know this isn't exactly the thing, but my kids and I have dance parties every Friday in our Mm. living room. And there's something about dancing and moving to songs that are fun that connect you and release stress. And like, I don't know, it just feels good and goofy and it's like a place to let go. And so I think just any movement sometimes shifts your whole being in that moment. 
Indeed. Giving yourself permission to just move as you feel it is a great example of what we've been talking about. Um, so thank you. I really, I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, and to my audience, thank you thank so you. much uh, for listening and learning more about how mental health and society meet. Now go out and open a conversation and discover how mental health is experienced in your world. You can find more of the Mental Society where you find your favorite podcasts or on YouTube. Uh, make sure you subscribe um, and uh, so you don't miss out on anything. You can find additional resources at our website, uh, which is thementalsociety.com. And remember that you are not alone in your struggles, that hope and help are all around you. And until next time, this is Amanda Dolan, wishing you good health, mental and otherwise. 